All right, here we are at another Green Room podcast, and uh, we are not filming this one. No, so there's really nothing green about it. No, nothing at all. You have to invent the green in your mind. Yeah. Close your eyes and think green. Think green. Unless you're driving. Like Kermit the Frog. See you know, that picture when he sips the tea? Yeah. And then they put the memes behind it that are sarcastic and condescending. Like what's one of the ones? I don't know. It's, it's, you know. I can't think of anything. Yeah. Well, that's our, that's our start to our Green Room podcast. Isn't of that course, great? Aren't this, you glad you've listened thus far? Yeah. This is number seven. So we're on number seven of our Green Room podcast. And if you're just tuning in for the first time, you can subscribe. You can go on our iTunes or check out our website at compasschurchaz.com. And you can subscribe and get these every week. And who are we, by the way? Well, I'm Gabe Legaspi. I'm the worship here at Compass Church. And with me here is our fearless leader, Dr. Tim Jacobs, the lead pastor at Compass Church. Yeah, and we love, we've been doing these things about every other week. Last week, um, we did not get a chance to do it. And we are not doing, uh, we're not doing video because mm, the cameraman. Yeah, that guy. That guy had surgery and he is not able to do the camera. And who is that guy? Well, he's my illustrious brother. Mr. Matt Jacobs. Mr. Matt Jacobs, who is, by the way, if you need a video guy, there's no one better. Yeah, he does all of our announcement videos, all kinds of things. Uh, he just really does a great job. He's for hire. Yeah. He's for hire because he needs extra money because Christmas is coming in a few months and I need something cool from him because it's been a long time. But he's injured. We've been praying for him because he's he had foot su- surgery. Right. So if you want to pray for Matt, you can pray for Matt. You he's, can do that after you listen to this podcast. That's right. You don't want to stop this right now because we're going to get rolling on some fun stuff. Yep. What we did last Sunday was a lot of fun. Uh, we do it. We... we in the past, have done it once a year, but we upped our game this year. We did it twice. Twice. And, and that is our Q&A Sunday. And the Q&A Sunday is always a crowd pleaser. Um, it, it makes for a really great time. Everybody always goes, man, that was really fast. But basically, we take Sunday morning, and we take live questions via text, and we try to answer as many as we possibly can in a 40-minute period. And we had myself... Uh, you up there, Tim, uh, our executive pastor, Dr. David Hurtado, and uh, Mr. Andre Moody, who is also getting his doctorate. So we, we had some, some brain power on the stage between the three of you guys there. Yeah, and people thought well, it went so fast. Why did you guys make it go so fast? And the truth of the matter is it was as long as any sermon. Yeah. It just seemed shorter because it was interesting. It's dialogical. Dialogical? Dialogic. It was, yeah, it was a conversation. Yeah, it was a good time, and we got a lot of crazy questions, and we, we had some fun. We answered some fun ones. We, uh, you know, s- some silly ones, you know, about Filipinos, and we talked about, uh, you know, Jesus as a toddler. And <laughs> well, and to clarify, Gabe, you are half Filipino. I'm half Filipino. And so when you hear things like half Filipino, it's we're not making fun of half Filipino people, except if that half Filipino person happens to be Gabe. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's directed... Directly at me. Yeah, I am one quarter Australian. And so if, you know, if you, and the Australians were sent, were basically English people who were criminals and thieves and you know, just unruly, unlikable people that were shipped all the way halfway across the world to Australia. So that's, you know, that's my ethnic heritage. Right. And we have Dave on our staff who's Colombian. And then we had Andre who's African-American. 
So we had a very diverse panel there. It was great. And it was a lot of fun. We, we actually really like each other. We have a good time uh, just kind of poking fun and, and trying to answer questions, too, as seriously as we can. You know, we had some tough questions dealing with race, tough questions dealing with uh, theological issues. We talked about evolution a little bit. And uh, just a large array of questions, and each service was completely different. And by the way, you know, on that, the evolution question, just so you know, if you were there, we always get that question. And the hard thing about it, we talked about it in the green room between services. If we get that question again, the hard thing about it is we could spend two hours talking about it because you get into details and the what about this, what about that, and the dinosaurs and everything. And it's so complex and complicated that when we when I when I make a statement saying well my biggest problem with evolution among other things is that I don't know how you get death before sin because evolution requires death it it is it is driven by death mm-hmm. and mutation and so the problem is the Bible says that that um, sin brings death this is the wages of sin the consequence the payment the result of sin is death. And I don't see God making a world that's good that, invol- that, that involves death because death is not a good thing. And v- violence and you know, animals eating each other and ripping each other apart and everything else. And does God create this world and go, wow, this is really good? I don't think he does that. I think what happens is God creates a, a, a beautiful world, a wonderful world with, with his amazing creative power and creates people who have the ability to follow him or not. And a, a rule of the universe is that everything is under the rule of God. And when there is an agent or an individual who has the capacity to not live under that rule of God, they inject a virus into the world that's basically a death sentence and it spreads much faster than Zika or anything else. And so I think that's what happens. I don't, I don't have all the answers for that. And I wasn't there, but guess what? Neither were you. So we can make conjectures about things. The other problem I have too, as long as we're going to talk about this, is the mockery that takes place. If there was a, if there was a serious person that said, look, I have no problem with you believing in God, uh, but, but, but when I look at the evidence, I, I just, this is, this is what you see. But it's not like that. It's always like, well, we believe in evolution, and you're an idiot, and, you're, and a fool, and a jerk, and a moron. And I'm going, can you at least acknowledge the fact that we look at the world and say, gosh, how, did, how could this all have come from nothing? Oh, that's a stupid question. Really? I don't think it's a stupid question. I think, I think, it's, a, I think it's a good question. Every, everything that we know that we can observe and see in our experience comes from something else. And then you're telling me that all of this comes from nothing. And that's challenging to me. So anyway, those are the issues. But without getting into, you know, the fossil record, which, by the way, the fossil record is very fascinating, too, when you get into that kind of stuff. But then you end up losing half the people in the crowd because they just really don't care. So if you were there and you heard the evolution question, it's like we don't want to sidestep it because we don't want to seem like we're wusses and we don't want to deal with it. But it's just hard. It's hard to unpack. It's hard to unpack in a Q&A with 40 minutes where we've got a billion Maybe we need issues. to do a two-hour Green Room podcast where we dig into that. You that know, could be good. That could be a lot of fun. That could you know, be really good. I was doing yard work the other day, and I had this thought hit me. is on Monday, you know, my day off, and you sit there, and your brain unwinds while you're cutting limbs and stuff off the trees. And uh, I realized that it's kind of ironic that a theory that proclaims that everything is always evolving and changing has to depend on a dating system that assumes that everything is the same looking backwards. In terms of the, the, how it's to be measured. Yeah. The measurement you, you of it. The measurement of it and everything. I just thought it was funny. It just kind of popped in my head, you know, like, 
you you say everything's always changing so mm-hmm. much it's rapid and all this but then we're gonna we're gonna use this we're gonna say the the world is this old because we're gonna assume using the math and going backwards that that things aren't this are this, the same essentially in an unshit that yeah for millions and millions <laughs> and millions of years the rate of carbon decay has always stayed the same yeah, yeah right so i mean there's those issues and Again, I, I look. If this is the other part that's really important too, and you, there's this challenge because people say, "Well, you know, Galileo challenged the church because he, the church said that the the Earth was at the center of the universe." And if you get into that stuff, it's not exactly true. There were the, the church did acknowledge that there were uh, that there was a solar system, and uh, Rodney Stark writes about this. If you get his book, how I think it's I think it's the one that he wrote that's called "How the West Won," but anyway. The, the idea that, look, if, if, it's, if, it's, if we are wrong in a sense um, that, you know, you realize, oh, the earth really was billions and millions of years old, um, I still am not going to say that that means that God didn't create the earth and that the Bible isn't true. And that's the, at the end of the day, that's the problem. So, you know, that the, the real issue with people that believe in evolution, I think, rabidly, not the people that's the casual, you know, right. that say, but I mean the rabid, like, if you disagree with this, I hate you, which is the attitude of a lot of people that are especially the university crowd and the professor crowd and the, you know, pocket protector crowd. Um, then, then those are the people I really think are trying to find a worldview apart from God. And I just wish you would acknowledge that. Just say, I don't want God to exist. And... I don't like anything that even hints of his existence. I just wish you'd be honest and say that, but you're, but you're not. And that's why you lose credibility with me. And, you know, right. when, you, when you write stuff that, 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 that is based on huge conjectures and you're unwilling to interact with people, and I understand that the Answers in Genesis crowd, I mean, they're good guys, and they, they, but they've been wrong on some things. And, and I think sometimes they can have an attitude as well that's a little bit um, narrow-minded and whatever else. So that's my take. We can move on. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of fun stuff. We could even unpack that more. Like I said, maybe that's a that's a longer green room podcast, and we we dive into that a little more and dig out, you know, atheistic evolution versus you know even theistic evolution and and how those yeah. things work. You know, mic, micro versus macro. Well, all, micro versus macro is that huge. Fun stuff. Yes, and and Gabe, you know, theistic evolution to me is just is is uh, I dismiss it. I yeah. completely dismiss it. I do not believe that a lizard had a lizard, had a lizard, had a lizard, had a bird. And I don't believe that my great, 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 great grandmother times 10,000 was an ape. I just, I can't, I don't, I don't see it. But micro and macro is a different deal altogether. And I can't, I cannot justify death before sin. Yep. I cannot justify it. You're really going to have a hard time if you're a a believer kind of resolving that. Saying you're going to have a real hard time if you're going to cling to some sort of creation evolution system where where things are changing species because you're, you're gonna have a hard time with the imago day too mm-hmm. because god made man in his image not monkeys eventually to become men in his image so you're gonna you're just gonna have a lot of theological hairs to split that are gonna get you in some some weird spots and i i think it's gonna be real interesting when we all speak to god himself and he he describes it and we go oh yeah that makes a lot of sense a lot simpler than what i I thought. I can't wait to see the video of how he really did it. Yeah, it's going to be good stuff. And I bet you we'll all be a little bit wrong. <laughs> yeah. But the one thing we'll be right on is that he did it. Yeah. So, anyway. Uh, okay, so I wanted to spend today and just kind of dig into a couple of questions we didn't get to because there was a lot of them. I mean, we had a lot of participation. I'm up there trying to filter questions. I mean, we we may have had like 80 questions uh, come in. It's a record. 
Yes, it was a lot. So we did spend a lot of time talking about um, spiritual pathways and things that, especially third service, that, that question came in a lot, you know, like, where does my faith take me? Uh, how, do I, how do I get motivated as a follower of Jesus? Uh, those types of questions, which also led into another one, which I'll, I'll save for a moment. But I wanted uh, to give you a chance to kind of unpack that a little bit. Um, especially for those who who didn't come to third service, and maybe they came the first or second, they didn't get to hear it or weren't here at all on Sunday. Well, the biggest thing about spiritual motivation, and it, it, there's a lot there, so I'm just going to take a little piece. I'm not going to try to answer the whole thing. But let me, I, I, I said something on Sunday. I, I said, for me, I think about death a lot. What I meant by that was, I don't think about the process of bleeding out on a table or something like that. That's a little morbid. Or I don't think about, um, you know, getting in a car accident. I think about the fact that my, the, the only thing that I am headed for with absolute certainty is death and subsequently heaven. And I think what we do, and it's amazing because this morning actually I read, um, I read uh, a lot of, of um, Charles Spurgeon stuff as part of my devotional life. I read scripture and I also read Charles Spurgeon. I just think the guy's awesome because he's like way old and, and uh, he just, the way his perspective on things in, in so many ways is like, he could have been very much done well in contemporary society today, but he's also, obviously there's things that are, he just saw things differently too. But he's talking about Revelation and, and the fact that in the book of Revelation, Jesus is the light of, of heaven and there's no need for any other light because Jesus is the light. And I thought, how often do we really contemplate heaven? How often, when was the last time you read Revelation? Well, I don't read Revelation because it's just crazy, the bowls and the trumpets and this and the, And it's, yeah, John Calvin himself, he, he wrote a commentary on every book of the Bible except Revelation because he said, I can't make heads or tails out of that thing. I get it. However, Revelation is amazing. And I was convicted because I said, I don't read this book enough. Yeah. Here's the thing. You talk about, Gabe, you talk about spiritual motivation. Here's the problem. We have an unbelievably short time on this planet. It is so short. And if you don't believe that, you, you really are. See, this, think about this for a minute. I, I, this blew my mind. The whole debate about did God choose me or do I choose God? I believe that God chooses us. I believe because a dead person can't make choices. A dead person's dead. So I believe it's the work of the Holy Spirit that regenerates a person, that brings them from death to life. I believe that. At the same time, if you don't choose God, you're held responsible for that. Yeah. And it, but, it, but if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Is there a sane human being on the planet that should not be held responsible for their own mortality? Is there a, is there a, think about it. Is there a person on the planet who should not be held responsible for the biggest observable fact in the world? And that is that everybody dies. And they die quicker than they want to. And so what happens then? And to go through your life going, oh, I'll deal with it later. Yeah, absolutely, you should be held accountable for that because you weren't the one that brought yourself into the world and you're not the one that's going to take yourself out. So how does that work? And so anyway, here's the thing that, that grabs me is, is I stand and you stand at the doorway, at the, at the edge of the cliff of eternity. I mean, you stand right there and you don't know when you're going to fall off into it. So you, based on that, you have to live a life in light of that, not in light of what you're living now. And besides, everything now just kind of is 
you know, I just bought this brand new car. I got this Honda Civic and I love it. It's a Honda Civic, so right, big deal. It's like bottom of the barrel, you know, not bottom of the barrel, but it's like, <laughs> it's an economy car. But I love it because I got leather seats in it. I got a sunroof. It's black on black. It's everything that I wanted. I got this amazing deal on it. I love driving. I feel like I'm driving like a Mercedes, you know, but I'm, I don't because I'm a pastor and that's how, you know, rumors get started. But anyway, <laughs> so, but, I, but you know what happened? So the other day I come out to my car and it's dented. Somebody backed into my car, dropped something on it it's or whatever. It's a travesty. It's a travesty. It's like, and they didn't leave a note or anything. And I was really mad for like the first 30 seconds and I was, I was shocked really because I was staring at my car. I'm like, man, I love this car. And that's when I noticed it. I went, oh my gosh, what happened? But anyway, here's the point. The point is everything breaks on this planet. Yeah. Everything gets old, doesn't it, Gabe? It gets old, dusty, wrinkled, ruined, messed up, shattered. And if you put your faith in that and you give your heart to that, you are an absolute fool. Which is, again, just to not to sidestep too much or to to go back, but that's a fundamental argument against uh, evolution right there. The law the of law, decay. The law of decay and mm-hmm. atrophy. Everything breaks and, and goes from, from life to death, not not like uh, disorder to order. Right. Yeah, so, so it never happens. It never happens. And you have to work it. You have to, yeah. the only way to make something go from disorder to order is if, is if another being intervenes acts upon it. Yeah. and acts <laughs> upon it. Hello. You know what I'm saying? Like these are, these are should be obvious kinds of things here. So anyways, to get back to your yeah. point. Um, yeah. If you, if you dwell on that, so that's where you're, when you said on, in third service, that's where my mind goes, and that brings me closer to God. It wasn't like this morbid, like you, you, uh, you think of, of dying per se, but you think of that idea that you are standing on the, the edge of eternity. I, I and do, brings, I do. And, you, and if you don't, and, and what it does is that makes life more important today. That, yeah. actually, that actually makes, you know, you're, not tra- you're not saying, I'm just going to trash this life. No, you're going, man, this life is full of meaning. Because I'm going to be reflecting for all of eternity on what happened here. Right. And the relationships. See, you, you know, they say you can't take anything with you when you go, but you can. You take your relationships. You take your faith. You take, your, you take the things that were done in the name of Jesus. And so um, if there's any motivation, I guess it would be Jesus. Jesus said, I mean, Jesus says to, to this guy and, and he says, you're, uh, he's given this illustration about, you know, I will, I will buy, build these barns and, you know, buy, build bigger barns. And he says, you're a fool. Today, your life will be demanded of you. And I think we just have to think about that kind of stuff because it's real. And so we say, God, help me. Can, I mean, can you, could you have the courage to say, God, help me to die well? In other words, I want to live well, but, I, but part of living well means I have to learn how to die well. So when I right. get to that point, I can look back and go, you know, I did right by my children. I did right by my spouse. I did right by, my, by, by the people in my life that I worked with. And I wasn't perfect. Of course, I'm saved by grace. I'm a, I'm a, you know, I've been a terrible person in some ways or other. But I like to say that, that I, I, may, I tried to live this life as though heaven was right there. And then, you know, the wonderful thing is when I go to heaven— or when I think about heaven, because again, I'm, I'm reading about, when you read about the New Jerusalem and this, the, the dimensions of it, it's so weird. You're thinking, how is this? But if you just spend time contemplating that and think about how beautiful it will be, don't you want to be there? I want to be there. I'm like, God, whatever it takes, just, I, I know it's by your blood, but I just want to express one more time. I want to be there with you. I don't want to be here. But while I'm here, help me live in preparation for being there. Yeah, a lot of verses come to mind, you know, the, when Jesus describes what it looks like to follow him, it says you pick up your cross daily 
and you, you, you follow him. And it's, it was this picture of death, essentially, is what he's saying, because yeah. the cross wasn't this poetic thing that we wear around our necks to him. It was this instrument where you, you carry it to your place of death and you die upon it. So it's this, this idea that, uh, yeah, you put to death this life. You do. And you do that daily. So you could, you could even unpack that a little more with, with some of the implications you're talking about. There's another verse that, that, that came to mind, which is Paul's, you know, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. You, you have this, this concept. That's what's great about the Christian worldview is mm-hmm. you, you, you have something beyond this. Well, exactly. And then, and then it goes back to your point about evolution. You know, if we're going to tie, it's funny, we didn't intend to tie those two, no, two things we're together. we're just going, yeah. But evolution basically is, is a fundamental fact of this, of a naturalistic um, worldview is there's nothing after this. Yeah. And so the, the sad thing is, so every, so whatever you have on this planet, that is it. That's it. And the Christian, the Christian world, I mean, Philippians chapter three says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior who will do what? transform our lowly bodies to become like his glorious body that you want to met a motivation for your spiritual life take that and believe it yeah live believe like it. it's true live like it's true and and know that that and by, by the way look there will be a judgment now i i not based on works but 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 an evaluation of, of your life in light of the fact that you were saved by grace. And 1 Corinthians talks about that. And we don't live in fear of that. But in the same way that we, we want to please uh, the person that we're, we're proud to serve. And we want to make that person happy. We want to make God happy. Right. You can't earn grace. On. But the only appropriate response to it is effort. That's, that's, that's so, brilliant. That's brilliantly said. The, uh, yeah, one thing that popped into my head too, uh, if we're talking to, if you're sitting here and you're going, well, how do I, how do I follow God? How do I get motivated? You know, the real trick to motivation in any athlete, any, anybody who grinds things out, any artist, any musician, anybody who has to like get motivated at some point, because the, the, the fallacy is to think that life is just always fun. The real trick to it is is the grind and, and just going, I'm going to do this regardless of whether I feel like doing it or not. You know, this morning I woke up, my alarm went off at 4.30, hit the snooze button twice, and uh, I laid there in bed and I, I really wanted to stay in bed. And I just said, you know what? Diligence and discipline. Right. If I don't get out of this bed and do what I need to get done, it's not going to happen. Bingo. So I got up. I got got there and read my Bible and wrote my journal. And, you know, you just, I think as a, maybe it's an American thing. I don't know. I've only lived as an American, so I don't want to make, uh, maybe it's a human thing, but it seems like we're afraid of uh, discipline within discipleship. And that's almost like those, those words are, mm-hmm. are tied together. It's almost like we're afraid to just say, no, no, no. Sometimes you just grind it out. Right. Sometimes you just persevere. Absolutely. And I think, I, that, that, that's, yeah, I couldn't, you're absolutely right that there's the habit and it can't be based on feeling. The only time it can be based on feeling is if you can imagine the feeling when you've done what you don't want to do. Yeah. So in the sense of the gym, I get up, I get up at a similar time. I get up about 10 to five and I go to this class four days a week um, at five thirty, and same kind of thing. I wake up and I'm thinking, 
okay, within less than an hour, I'm going to be in pain and I'm going to be sweating and I'm going to be wishing that I was either dead or somewhere there's else. A million reasons not to do it. And there's a million reasons <laughs> not to do it. I, I mean, I literally, I got up this morning. I thought, you know, with all this energy I have right now, I could, I could write some stuff. I could get, I could get a jump on things with church, blah, 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 blah. But no, I made a commitment to, to keep myself physically disciplined. And so when those moments, I think, yeah, but imagine how you're going to feel when you're done. Yep. And, and I think like, you know, even when we talk about doing quiet times or devotionals or whatever, well, I'm not going to feel, maybe I don't feel any better after I do it. Well, imagine if I was to commit myself to reading, a, reading through the Bible or reading a book of the Bible. Imagine how I'd feel when I was done with that. Like, wow, this is cool. I've never read a book of the Bible before. I've never actually, you know. And it's just a foreshadow of what we just talked about with death. Right. Living this life is, is a future hope. That's right. It's to go and imagine what it's like, you know, is reading through, uh, first Peter again and, and kind of going through it this morning, but just the concept of the, the imperishable inheritance that's in front of us. And that's how Peter motivates the Christians to go through because you're going to go through suffering, but if people insult you, you're blessed. Yeah. You have no idea what, what God has for you. Yeah, absolutely. Beyond here. And there is an idea of being asleep and awake and we're always reminded to be awake because yep. if you are asleep, that means you're not aware of what's really happening around you. And I think that's another reason for, for lack of spiritual motivation is, it is, is a lack of awareness. Um, you know, if you don't know the game is going on, you're not going to be very motivated to play. If you're yeah. on the field and you have a jersey and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing here. And all of a sudden you look at, oh my gosh, the clock is running and there's, you know, 11 guys who want to kill me running after me or whatever the case there's is. There's a score. And there's there's a, a score. I'm, you, you, yeah. Then all of a sudden, and there's a whole bunch of, you know, there's a whole bunch of people watching. That, that becomes... And that is real. You have to look past what you can't see. Otherwise, yeah, you, you, like these guys have talked about, you can be a, basically a Christian atheist. But it's a good question, and I appreciate the fact that someone asked it. And we're not, it's I'm a not real be, question. It's yeah. a real question. So I hope, yeah, don't hear either one of us trying to put that question down because these are things that we've had to wrestle with. Like I said, I wrestled with this morning. Absolutely. You know, how am I motivated for today? And it really is that just kind of, and I'm not always good at it, so please don't hear that like, oh, I'm, I'm the master at this. Definitely not. It's, it's, the, it's the journey. So it's the, you know, putting one foot in front of the other and just plugging away. And, and, and every time you end up falling and you, you, you take two steps back, just keep pushing forward, keep, keep persisting. And I think uh, that's going to be it, some themes that are going to get hit in the next series as we go through First Peter. Uh, we... What's the series called again? It's called... It's called Strength Through Adversity, and it's in First Peter. The whole idea behind it is First Peter is a book written to people that are going through hardship and persecution and difficulty, really much more so than we, we do from a macro level. I mean, we don't have a... You know, I know we yeah. say we're li religious liberty is being threatened, and there's, you know, there's some mockery of Christians that goes on, but nothing really like... You know, no one's stringing us up and, and lighting us on fire to, for street lights at night like yeah. Nero did, and you know, we're not getting thrown to lions and that sort of thing. But that could come. I mean, something like that could happen. It's it certainly happened in, in the modern era with, uh, you know, the Jews in, in uh, Nazi Germany and other ethnic cleansings and, and of course, Christians in, in living with ISIS right now. But um, most likely for us here in Goodyear, probably not. No, but but it's going to be, you know, uh, some of our pain will be self-inflicted. But but I think I think some of our pain also is, is part of life, part of living in a fallen world. The roof's going to leak. The water, leak, the water heater's going to bust. You get a dent in your civic. You get a dent in your civic from somebody who, who uh, <laughs> you know, just didn't care. But, but you have all this stuff. But then on top of that, though, I do believe, Gabe, that when you, if, if you don't, 
if, if you're getting your marching orders from the culture in terms of what's acceptable and what's not, and then you choose to follow Christ, yes, you will, stream, you will swim upstream. And, and there will be things like, I don't know if I want to say this right now. I don't know if I want to let people know that I'm living this way. And so, but see, here's the whole idea of strength through adversity. You never get better at anything until you go through pain. Yep. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And so whether it's working out, and that's kind of our theme is, you know, there's a guy lifting weights or whatever, and, 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 but, but it's, it's the adversity. And can you kind of learn to embrace adversity? Right. If, can you learn to embrace hardship? And, and it's, it doesn't sound like an exciting thing, but, it, but it, again, it's real. Either you embrace it or it knocks you down. Yeah. Because you'll have it. Yeah, I'm a firm believer in that. Um, I think, I think the, the hard things in life make us better. Uh, it's, no, it's no secret around here, if you know me, I'm, I'm into the go-ruck thing uh, where you, you basically push yourself beyond your limits and, mm-hmm. and you have to just kind of stick through something that you can't do. Uh, one of their big tenets, one of their, their core principles is embrace the suck. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's this, you're going to go through it, so you can either quit or you can go through it and embrace it and, and do it smiling and, and come out the other side knowing that, uh, and it's that looking forward, you know, you're, you're to what it's going to feel like when you get through to the other side. Absolutely. And that's, and that's why I think there's so many parallels between the physical and the spiritual. And that's, I, th- I just think those things are so important because we're not, p- part of your soul is, is, your soul is made up of, of your, obviously your spirit and then your body as well. And th- those things act on each other. I mean, that's why we will end our, as I just mentioned a few minutes ago, we will get a transformed body. God's plan for us is to spend all of eternity right. in a physical body, just not one that, that dies. Anyway, so we can keep on moving on with a few more cool. questions. I wanna, I yeah. I want to hit a few other ones. Yeah. Uh, here's one we didn't get to hit and it's more on, you know, like the trustworthiness of scripture uh, the canon and all that good stuff. So why do we believe the Bible when it was written so long ago by different people and rewritten so many times? How do we know all this is real? Oh, I wish I could have had a chance to answer that question. Yeah, we had, we had a lot. We answered a lot oh, of questions. Man, that's a good one. Well, it's, it's a, it is a very, very good question. And I, and I will have to make sure and put that in the subject line too, when we get this out so people know we talked about it, but briefly the, the, the very fact that the Bible was written by so many different people and over such a long period of time, if you don't know, it was written over a period of 1,500 years by over 40 different authors on three different continents and three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And yet it possesses this incredible singularity that, is, that not only is just a unification of purpose, but a progression as well. And in, in, in the entire progression, it never has any, and I mean any, zero contradiction. And there will always be people that think they'll, you know, the Hittite civilization for years and years. Well, there's Bible says that there's this made up civilization called the Hittites. There's no such thing as the Hittites. And then they went and found one of the greatest ancient civilizations, the first civilization to ever use iron tools, the Hittites. And it just goes on and on and on. But here's the thing. In terms of the rewritten, that's what I challenge. Now, the Bible hasn't been rewritten. It has been copied. Translated. And translated. Big difference. So, for example, if you question, if you dismiss the Bible because it's been translated and copied, then you have to dismiss Homer. You have to dismiss uh, all of the ancient, you know, Herodotus, all the ancient historians, all those guys. You just have to dismiss all of antiquity. Because it's all been rewritten, but that doesn't not rewritten, but it's been it's been copied. Which, but and they've applied all these tests to it. 
the number of manuscripts, and that, that's how you tell the legitimacy of an of a, of a, of a original document, is the amount of manuscripts that it's had. So, for example, Homer has something like 500, um, or maybe not even less than that, I mean, fewer than 500, I think, uh, original uh, copies of the original. The New Testament has over 24,000. And so, you know, that's just one example of, of the historicity of the whole thing. Yeah, and counting sometimes we find we Because find you're more, always finding yeah. more of them. Yeah. You're always finding more of them. And the, the amount of accuracy within those is, is pretty, I mean, just within the last, I think it was within the last decade, right? We had the Dead Sea Scrolls and they kind of unpacked those a little more. And finding out just how accurate our scriptures really are, that's a big find. Yeah, we, we, if you get into textual criticism and there's books on it, there's a guy, um, I don't remember his first name, but his last name is Metzger. And um, he wrote a, a kind of the classic book on, on text, uh, biblical uh, criticism. And you can get into that. And it's kind of egghead kind of stuff. But I did that in conjunction with Greek. And it is, they have all these, the, the way that they do it is it just, you walk away going, it's unmistakable. But the other part of it, though, too, Gabe, that I think it's important is how do they decide what books sure. to go in? And I think that's another common question, too. So that's, that's when we say the word canon, you hear that word thrown around in the church realm. What does that mean? Well, it, in this case, it's not an instrument of war. It means the entire collection of writings that are seen as sacred or part of the Bible. So, we, for example, we would dismiss the Apocrypha because there is a lot of, for a variety of reasons, we dismiss the Apocrypha for the same reasons that we include the typical Old Testament, New Testament. The biggest thing you have to know is that the New Testament was not decided as much as it was discovered. Meaning it was, it wasn't like a bunch of people said, well, you know, we think this book and we think who wants to vote. No, there was an acknowledgement that there was something very, very unique and special about all of the 66 books. Now, in the particular, when we look at the, the New Testament, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, for example, two letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. There were actually four, I think, at least that we know of that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, but only two were included in the canon. Now, why is that? Well, several reasons. First of all, because when Paul wrote these letters and they were received by the Corinthian church. They had an amazing spiritual transformative effect on that church. Unlike anything else that he had written, unlike, you know, the third letter or the first letter or whatever, because really I think it was the second and fourth that, that in terms of sequential and the first and third, they, they just didn't include because it didn't have, it didn't bring with it this, this sense of authority and this transformational effect. That's just one of the, the guidelines. The yeah. other one, the other one, there's, there's, and there's a bunch, I won't go into all of them, but the other one is there's a recognition that it fits with incredible continuity everything else that had also been written in the canon up to that point too. So it, it, it's consistent with the Old Testament. It's consistent with everything that they knew. And uh, again, it brought, to, brought with this incredible spiritual authority and power. There's other reasons I could mention, but the key point is when, when, when people sat down, and again, a lot of this was decided based on controversies and everything else that had come up about, well, there's this writing over here. Should we follow this? And they came in and said, look, these are the accepted writings that are going to, that are going to be the things that are going to mark um, Orthodox Christianity. It wasn't something where they said, well, we're going to choose this and choose this. No, it said these books here are so far and above any of these other ones that it's not even a really, it's not even a question right. in a sense. It's not even a question. The, the kind of um, power that these writings contain. They said these had to be from the very word of God, from the mouth of God. Now, obviously, human beings wrote them down. 
Right. You see that, which is kind of a beautiful thing too. God didn't just drop all these books on us out of a out of the sky on a comet or something. And give you magical glasses to interpret them. So, uh, <laughs> as other people believe. As, but yeah, there's there's a the canon is huge. You could dig into that a little more. Uh, that was it the Nicene Council. I, the, I I think so. So you you yeah. have this this group of of uh, of believers figuring this stuff out, and not only did they pray about it, you know, the, all the spiritual things. That's all assumed, but they they did a lot of research too into like were these widely accepted? They they looked at how many people read these things. Absolutely, that's so, right. So so there might have yes. been a book that was pretty good, but they're like, you know, not a lot of churches have read like see this as something that's spiritual, spiritually beneficial. So there's a lot of little things that went into that. It's, it's not something that was just kind of like a bunch of dudes just kind of voted, you know, they're drinking beers and, oh yeah, I think this one's good. It was, it was a very intelligent, thoughtful, prayerful, spiritual thing that we, we have now the Bible in front of us. And that's why you have things like the gospel of Thomas and, you know, you have these secular Bible guys that'll say, well, you know, the well, Gospel of Thomas says this, that Jesus had a wife and blah, blah, blah. And he had, I don't know, like a collection of birds or yeah, some then, crazy thing. And then a lot of that too was, was these guys studying. They're like, that guy, Thomas didn't even write that. So, you know, they, yeah. they, they put in the work and said, you know, what's the legitimacy? How widely accepted are these? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's a lot that goes into that. So it's not just something that just kind of came about. Yeah, and the other thing, too, that's important to understand is that here's what's amazing is people will say, well, you know, the Bible, the New Testament offers different accounts of the resurrection. And if you, if you know anything about criminology, you know that actually um, when you have four different stories and they match up, but they don't match up exactly perfectly, it actually lends credibility to the story because these are all eyewitness accounts. So, for example, if someone was, was to come into the room that we're recording this in right now two hours ago, and someone was to come in now, and someone was to come in three hours from now, they would say, well, two hours ago, there were five people in this room. And then the guy that came in now would say, well, there's two people in the room. And the guy that would come in two hours from now would say, well, there's nobody in the room. Right. And, and so, well, they're, well, they all contradict. Yeah, but they're all, but, but, but they're all right. They're all yeah. true. And so, that, so people love to, so for example, you have, you know, there were the angels of the tomb, and then there wasn't an angel, and then there was the, you know, there's these different eyewitness accounts because sequentially and in different ways, these people saw things, and they wrote down what they saw, and here's the biggest thing. The gospel writers didn't think it was necessary to conspire amongst themselves to make sure and get their story straight. Wouldn't it be more suspicious then? (laughs) Yeah, they let it lie because they said, we are so confident that what we're writing is true. We're not going to, we're not going to say, why will we sit here? This is what this guy saw. This is what I saw. And that they understand that it lends credibility to the story. Just as if you were to, if any group of people were to see a crime scene or some other type of event, they would give radically different ideas of the same thing, but they're all right. In this case, again, you saw different pictures, but the same theme. They all say that Jesus rose from the dead and 11 out of the 12 disciples paid with that message with their lives. Which is a great apologetic there. I mean, not not in the sense of a defense for the gospel. Um, if you're going to make something up, you're not going to go and die for it. That's that's. I mean, why would you do that? Yeah, at why some would point you you're going to go. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I made that up. I'm just kidding, <laughs> you know. So there's a lot of good stuff there. I, we could probably, again, this could be a two-hour Green Room podcast where we dig out, you know, the Q document and a bunch of other things and kind of talk about uh there's another thing called jesus seminar which 
was debunked and a bunch of things like that where people were trying to say, oh, the Bible, there's these messing documents or Jesus probably said this, he didn't really say this and all this stuff. So there's a, there's a lot we could unpack in that. And remember, and then say again, it's funny how all these themes tie together because this goes back once again to the evolution thing we talked about at the beginning. When you start out and you're, when you start out with the view that there's no way this can be true, then you end up with the, the, the crazy conclusions that they come up with. Yeah. These guys, at, uh, the Jesus Seminar guys and the Q document and blah, 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 and the JEDP stuff that's all about the Old Testament, they start out with the supposition that, there's, that naturalism is what's true. They, they completely deny the supernatural. So it makes sense. If you start off believing there's no way this can be true or written from the hand of God, then of course you're going to come to these radical conclusions like that, like, you know, that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross, but, you know, he was, he just woke up in like a bad hangover three days later and, you know, knocked the stone down and beat up the guards and ran into town with his beard ripped out and told everyone to follow him. I mean, it's impressive. Just, yeah, I don't. But this, but this is what you come up with. And the same thing with the evolution, guys. There's no possible way God created the earth, so we're going to try to figure out a way that he didn't. Yeah, I mean, I just read this morning, I was reading a little excerpt, and it was talking about Francis Crick, who's a, I think he was a Nobel Prize winner, scientist, who was, he went to the lengths of saying that, uh, well, there obviously was, was intelligent design. I just, it's not God. It had to be aliens sending some sort of pods or something you know because the real problem isn't is never an intellectual one no exactly so, so if you're going to argue and and we got a lot of questions how do i how do i uh how do i teach my atheist friend about the gospel let me just tell you let me just put you at ease here you will never win somebody over to the faith by intellectual reasons Absolutely because the right. problem is not intellectual it's it's heart it always comes down to uh, even Bertrand Russell, who was like the espoused atheist who, who had the debates against the, the theist. And he, he, they basically, he came to the point where he goes, listen, you guys have great answers to all these questions. He goes, I just don't want there to be a God. Yeah. Because if there is, it means I need to change what I'm doing. And, and at I least, at least you're intellectual, at least you're honest enough to, to say that. But you're exactly right because the aliens thing, I mean, come on. So aliens created the earth. Why is that easier for you to believe than God? What it really does is it removes you. You know, it's another uh, degree of separation from God, which gives you a greater degree of of moral license or immoral license. And and as you read the Bible, it just makes sense. It really makes sense. When When the Bible speaks about the condition of our hearts, and I look at my own, and I look around myself, and I look at the people, and I go... This makes the most sense. It yeah. really does. So, yeah, good stuff there. Um, again, we could talk for forever on all these. Uh, we had we spent some time during second service. We asked the, somebody asked the question, you know, "How do I, how do I be a man of God? How do I follow God as a man?" We got one that we didn't get to. Um, how do you how do you be a godly woman? Well, I don't know, Gabe. So you know, unfortunately, you know, this would be one that I would throw at Dave Hurtado. Because <laughs> I'm just joking. The uh, it's a great question. We we spend a lot of time talking about the male perspective here, not because we're chauvinistic, but because that's the perspective that we have. You and, know? and the women love it. Yeah, because we're challenging men to be men. So if you come to Compass Church, maybe you haven't come here yet. If you come, 
that's what you're going to hear. We, we want men to be men. We want them to uh, live lives of sacrifice, to follow after God, to persevere to those type of things. But what about when we did a whole series called uh, Creative Differences earlier mm-hmm. this year, if I, if I remember correctly, um, where we talked about the differences between men and women, and we really unpacked a lot of things. It was a great series. We got a lot of people that really enjoyed that series. Um, you spoke on, on womanhood. What were some of the points, if you can kind of recall back to that? Yeah. Uh, you brought up First Peter, I, I believe. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of these things are the same. I mean, the woman, for a, to be a godly woman, you know, we talk about character for men. Of course, it's character for women. But there's going to be different nuances there. And, and the effect of, you know, we talk about males taking responsibility or men taking responsibility. It, it has a different uh, nuance than when we say women taking responsibility. We don't necessarily think of a woman taking responsibility for a man. We more so think, you know, we think, okay, well, you know, a guy doesn't really need, you know, he doesn't need a woman to take responsibility for him. But what a man, the best the gift that a man can give is to take responsibility, to look out for, to provide for, to care for, to be attentive to. And to ultimately give himself up for the needs of the woman that God has brought to him. I think that's undeniable unless you are just an, an angry person who denies reality of differences between men and women. That being said, so when we, we talk about the nuance of, of females, probably the best, um, the best kind of synopsis I could give of that really comes out of what I read out of Wayne Grudem and John Piper's book written years ago on biblical manhood and womanhood, which is really the affirmation of strength of a man. So in other words, as a mother, as a wife, godliness expresses itself in your ability to affirm the strength of the men and the boys in your life. And what is that what does that mean? Well, part of it is there's a peace when your heart is at peace and and there's a there's a strength that comes in peace. When there's a woman whose heart is at peace and at rest because she trusts is so much in God, that God has placed this man in her life, um, and he's not going to be perfect. So she doesn't give her whole, she gives her whole heart to him, but she doesn't give her the part that belongs to God to him. See, that's the biggest problem. When you give your heart, when you give the part of your heart that belongs to God to a man, you will be, you will, you'll go nuts, okay? You'll, you'll be completely let yeah. down. You'll be emotionally all over the map. He can't fill those shoes. He can't fill those shoes, and you probably know that. So really, that's what it is. But then in terms of the man going, God, you give me a, you've given me an imperfect man, but you've given me a man whose job, my job it is, is to nurture his strength as best as I can. And so uh, that means letting him lead. Um, what does that mean, let him lead? Doesn't mean that he gets to pick what you have for dinner every night. He probably doesn't even want to do that. What it means is that you, you trust him that he is going to be the provider that he is going to be the one to take uh, leadership and responsibility for the the welfare of the family. And when you question his leadership and you doubt his leadership publicly and verbally to him, you are, you are scarring him and wounding him in ways that you, you, you don't understand, but you're tempted to do that because you're looking at this guy going, Dude, what are you doing? I don't, I can't, what's wrong with you? How are we going to pay the light bill? Why aren't you getting a job? Look, what, look at our kid, you know, and, and it's understandable. Right. But, but, but that's where that character comes from and that discipline to say, God, how do I approach him in such a way that leaves him stronger rather than sowing seeds of self-doubt into his mind? Yeah, I think of, um, I think it's interesting, you know, you, you look at the Bible and what's it say? 
and you know people will think that it's antiquated or it's it's old or whatever when it says wives submit to your husbands but what does it say to the husband it says husbands love your wives as christ loved the church so you yeah it that submitting to your husband doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense unless you have that unless you have that man who is uh willing to lay his life down for the needs and the benefit of the other so i i think i think it's the reason why we have such a problem with it is because we don't we don't want to submit to both of those yeah we want to either rule as an authoritarian um, but realizing that Christ ruled as a servant, and that's really what he's calling men to do, be servants. And, yeah, and, be and sacrificial that, servants. Absolutely, and that's why that's this— That's how you lead. Exactly, and that's why in First Peter 3, and it gives, it gives instructions to wives and husbands. What is the whole context of First Peter? We already said it's adversity. It's difficult. It's, there, there's, there's strength in adverse, adversity, and, and, and marriage can be an adverse environment at times because it's not, it doesn't come natural. to It becomes natural. It's natural for us to be attracted to people and get what we want from them. It is unnatural for us to uh, still stay with them when we're not attracted to them and give them what they need from us. It's not, yeah, it's, what, you know what's natural is being selfish because right. of our sin nature. And, and I think uh, we stop there <laughs> and, and we think, okay, well, that's what's natural. And why are we having so many problems when really if you were living your life, and this is true, whenever there's a problem in my marriage, it's usually because I, I'm being selfish or, or there's some sort of fight there. Mm-hmm. If you're living your life to outgive each other, you won't miss it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's, and that's exactly, it, that's exactly the attitude. I do want to say that this is always so hard. And again, one of the fundamental differences between men and women, we don't have to say this to men the same way we do with women. Women, you are often in a place where if you find yourself married and you're in a situation with an abusive husband, with a husband who, is, and there's abusive wives, yeah. um, but when, but typically we know how these things go. Abusive husband, a husband who is uh, who's taking advantage of you, uh, who's who physically is threatening you, and all those kinds of things. That's that's a different story. And and so when we talk about some of this stuff, we're not saying submit in terms of let yourself get beat up, uh, let yourself get you know assaulted, let yourself get uh, abused. We're not we're not yeah. saying that at all. So understand the context of this. That this is. This is natural, normal, human relationship kind of stuff that we're all going to have our little issues right. here and there or whatever else. So you need to get help. But the other thing I'd say to single women, and this is, again, this is, you guys have to understand this stuff. You need to, the, when you raise your expectations, you have to trust God that men will meet them. And the, I told my daughter, the other, the other night my daughter and I took a walk. She's 12, and I'm dealing with all that stuff. And I said, honey, I said, can I tell you how guys think? This is how guys think. The girl who's hardest to get is the girl who's best to get. And she was like, really? You know, and I mean, she's telling her friend issues and blah, blah, blah. And I said, honey, and she actually went and talked to somebody else that day, next day, another guy friend of hers. And she said, my dad said the girl that's hardest to get is the girl that's best to get. And he's like, yeah, that's true. In other words, the one who raises their standards and the one who just won't settle for anything and anybody, anywhere, anytime is the one that brings out in a man qualities that are his best qualities. Yeah. 
If it takes me being virtuous in order to impress this woman, then that's what I'll do. If it takes me buying her a drink on a Friday night and asking her to go back to the hotel room, if that's all it takes, well, you know, then I can do that too. But, but ultimately, this woman, and see, beauty and virtue in a woman is supposed to inspire a man. Right? Right. And so when you have virtue, ladies, you bring out qualities in him that maybe even he didn't know were there. Yeah. And, and so w- that's what we're supposed to do. Remember, we're opposite sides of the image of God here. And when we, when we work together well, we actually make each other better. Yeah. And that's the thing no one talks about. Yeah, the beauty of, of that relationship. And we're in a culture, I'm, I don't want to get into this because we could go on a long rabbit trail and we, we, we need to wrap it up here pretty soon. But just talking about, you know, genders and gender differences. And we live in a world that tries to ignore both of those, which is funny because to ignore both of them, you're actually acknowledging that there is a difference. That's why you're so mad. Uh, but yeah. I, won't, I won't get into all that. Yep. Uh, I want to throw one more question out there. Maybe I should, but I will. We'll do it quickly. Okay. So how can there be a God when there's so much evil and suffering in the world? Oh, really? That one? It's, okay. It's always there. You yeah. Know? No, I, that's I a good question. It's a great question, but it's just funny that it's the last one. It's like, oh, here we go. We could have done <laughs> a half hour. Okay. Um, the, well, you, you can, I mean, we know the C.S. Lewis answer. Without, without God, there is no such thing as good and evil. Right. I mean, that's just it. So, you know, that's, that's the, did you hear that? So please understand, if there is no God, you have zero right to call anything evil. It's purely subjective. It's purely up to you. And your opinion doesn't really matter in the universe or to anybody else other than you. So the other thing is evil in the world reminds us that this world is broken and fallen and it is not all there is. So evil is caused by one of two ways. Remember this, there's natural evil and there's moral evil. Moral evil happens when I reach across the table and I punch Gabe and then he punches me back. That's moral evil. Natural evil is when we're both sitting here and a comet falls out of the sky and kills us when we were just sitting here doing nothing. There's two types. So in both, you know, both result in hurt and injury towards us that we didn't necessarily deserve, so to speak, you know, or whatever. I mean, people say that. the problem now that you, so the moral evil, you can explain away because you go, well, you know, I mean, there's bad people in the world and blah, blah, blah. And you know, evil is if, if, if this guy hadn't gotten drunk at the bar and gotten in the car, then the family of five in the minivan wouldn't have gotten killed, you know, in the drunk driving accident. But the natural evil one's the harder one. Children starving in Africa and that sort of thing. And so what do you say about that? Well, what you have to say about that is when you see that, and the response that it has in you, if you were made purely only for this world, that should not bother you. Right. But the fact that it does shows you you were what? Made for another. Some, you're made for something better. Another world. Yeah. The, uh, you know, we could, we could go back to some classical proofs on that. But really what you bring up is the, is the, best, the best question. If there is no God, then why do you feel like there's so much suffering in the world? So, the, yeah. you know, that's the problem of pain, the problem of suffering, but even the problem of good. Why is there so much good things in this world? And I, I remember you, you read the introduction of, uh, I think it's Richard Dawkins, uh, what was his God delusion or whatever. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning of that, I, th- I don't think I've ever read past the introduction in that book, but uh, he talks about how, you know, uh, we are DNA and we are, it's you know, we, j- we dance to its music. It's chaos and it's this and it's that. And we're just the, the result of what we were made to be. But not made to be, obviously that's, but we just Before are, we just, we just exist, you know, and, and, uh, 
There is no good. There is no bad. And then he goes on to talk about how evil God is <laughs> and, and how right John Lennon was, you know, when he wrote Imagine. And this is so funny because you're like, you just said there's no, so why does it bother you, <laughs> you know, right. that, that these things, you, you're, you're pointing, the, you're saying there's no evil, no, no, no good, and then you're going, yeah, but this thing over here is evil. So you, you can't get away from it. No, you it's, can't. It's like saying there's no absolute truth. You you just can't. You you're using absolute truth to define you're using good and evil to define why there is no good and evil because they're there. Absolutely. And I, you said that so well. And I wish I really wish that we would have had more time the other day to talk through these things because they are such good questions. But the the problem is they're good questions that that have that have really good answers. They do. Yeah, they're not. They're not going to throw Christianity off its footing. They're not going to sink. You know, the the Christian faith. They're not. In fact, what they do is they end up reinforcing it. Yeah. So, so I would just encourage you. You have questions. Uh, there are great answers out there, and they're, we're going to be talking about. Well, this is why you have to show up. By the way, five fifteen is when we're starting Saturday night services. That's right. Sunday or Saturday, August sixth. Be there. And Sunday, August 7th, but we always integrate this stuff into into the content of what we do anyway on Sunday or on the weekends now. So anyway, yeah. Well, this has been it. Uh, This is all we got time for. We're really glad you tuned in and joined up. You could subscribe. You can also show up on a Sunday. We're over here in Goodyear, 16060 West Van Buren Street. And we're starting our Saturday night services this weekend. So Mm Come and uh, join the fun. Go to www.compasschurchaz.com, and you can check that out as well. So thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Awesome.